Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I have to go and start rehearsals for Star Wars 7 D2. I'm concerned because my mother is not feeling well. This for the show? I forgot I had it. That's what's good about losing your memory is there's so many surprises. It's like the old days in a way, but I'm like the old days, so. <laughs> I'm my mom's best friend. I share everything with my dog. That's right. Especially the chick. Far more than I ever would want to. I know what my mother feels and wants. Now just do what your mother says. It makes life easier. As if. On December 23, 2016, Carrie Fisher, the multi-talented writer and actress best known for playing the role of Princess Leia in six installments of the Star Wars franchise, boarded a flight from London to Los Angeles after wrapping up the European leg of her book tour. Fisher was promoting her third memoir, The Princess Diarist, based on the diary she compiled as a young woman around the time she was first cast in the original Star Wars movie in 1977, and it was selling well with the resurgent interest in the mega-successful film series in the midst of Disney's release of three new installments of the Space Saga. As usual, she was accompanied on the 11-hour flight by her beloved French bulldog Gary, her emotional support pet, and a frequent plus-one for Fisher during numerous television appearances and interviews, as well as a budding social media star in his own right. Although she'd recently turned 60, Fisher was showing little signs of slowing down. To the contrary, her career was in a bit of a renaissance. In addition to the book, she'd recently completed filming The Last Jedi, the second film of the new Star Wars trilogy, a different fantasy movie called Wonderwell, and several episodes of the British sitcom Catastrophe, which had recently become a huge hit on Amazon Prime. Even beyond her contributions on screen, Fisher's advocacy work on behalf of several causes, including gender equality, animal rights, and LGBT issues, transformed her into a bit of a hero for younger generations. Her openness about her struggles with substance abuse and mental health made her feel accessible and relatable to wide swaths of people. And Harvard College even honored her with a Lifetime Achievement Award in Cultural Humanism, saying her, quote, forthright activism and outspokenness about addiction, mental illness, and agnosticism have advanced public discourse on these issues with creativity and empathy. Fisher had also recently been in a more reflective mood about her incredible Hollywood career and the ups and downs of her personal life. Born into Hollywood royalty as the daughter of actress Debbie Reynolds and singer Eddie Fisher, she was the ultimate so-called Nepo baby, but more than proved her actual talent, and perhaps more importantly, her incredible taste by landing and then nailing roles in some of the most iconic movies of the 70s and 80s, including making her film debut in Warren Beatty's classic Shampoo, following that up with Star Wars, and then appearing as a vengeful ex-lover in John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd's smash hit The Blues Brothers. By the late 80s, she'd published her first novel, Postcards from the Edge, which was later adapted into a hit movie with Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine, and played a key supporting role in the rom-com classic When Harry Met Sally. And that didn't even scratch the surface of her topsy-turvy life carousing with and dating some of the coolest people of her generation. She had a fling with Harrison Ford, was engaged to Dan Aykroyd, and even married to Paul Simon for a period of time. While struggling with bipolar disorder and crippling addictions to cocaine and prescription meds all the while. 
She'd opened up about it all in her earlier memoir, Wishful Drinking, which Carrie had already turned into a successful documentary and was currently workshopping for a possible one-woman show. As incredible as her life had been, there's a solipsistic quality to speaking endlessly about your own trials and tribulations, and some critics had pointed out that she sort of essentialized some of her experiences and perhaps inadvertently glamorized the excesses of Hollywood in the process. But Fisher was no narcissist, and perhaps the best proof of that was her deep, complicated, but thoroughly loving relationship with her famous mother, Debbie Reynolds. It was a relationship that had recently been chronicled in depth in a critically acclaimed documentary called Bright Lights, starring Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds in May 2016, which garnered a rare 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, amply underscoring the famous mother-daughter duo's enduring appeal to the public. The film closes with a moving scene of Reynolds preparing to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award from SAG, presented by none other than her daughter. Fisher and Reynolds, two huge stars from two very different eras of Hollywood, somehow found themselves back in the conversation. And it was against this backdrop that Fisher boarded her flight back to Los Angeles. Just four days later, on December 27, 2016, Carrie Fisher would be gone. Less than 24 hours later, while the family planned for Fisher's funeral arrangements at her brother's home, her 84-year-old mother, Debbie Reynolds, suffered a stroke and died later that day at a nearby hospital. I'm Derek Kaufman. I'm Jason Beckerman. And this is Last Days, Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. The 11-hour United flight Fisher took from London to Los Angeles was relatively uneventful until around 15 minutes before the plane landed at LAX when the flight crew called in to air traffic control to report a medical emergency involving an unresponsive passenger. United 935 Heavy, I need the nature of the uh, medical emergency and also the uh, sex of the patient and is there medical emer- uh, medical uh, personnel at the gate? Yeah, we've coordinated medical personnel for the gate. We have some uh, passengers, nurses assisting the passenger. We have an unresponsive passenger. So they're working on it right now. We're going to have them seated in about uh, two minutes here, and we should hopefully be on the deck for about five. A passenger seated near the actress reported to aircraft personnel that Fisher had stopped breathing, prompting a flurry of frantic activity on the flight. One passenger said that Fisher had not been breathing for approximately 10 minutes, while another witness said, quote, Don't know how else to process this, but Carrie Fisher stopped breathing on the flight home. Hope she's going to be okay. So many thanks to the United flight crew who jumped into action and the awesome doctor and nurse passengers who helped. Perhaps not sensing the full gravity of the situation, the witness added, quote, feel weird even tweeting about it, but I just finished her book and I was fangirling out over seeing her dog Gary in person. Another passenger performed CPR and some flight crew members tended to Fisher until paramedics arrived at the gate. An airport patron described the chaotic scene saying, quote, it was scary. There was a team of about six emergency workers pushing her out on a stretcher. She had an oxygen mask on, and they were yelling at people to get out of the way as they pushed her through. According to first responders, Fisher was, quote, aggressively treated at the scene and then transported to UCLA Medical Center, where she was immediately taken to intensive care and placed on a ventilator. At the hospital, it was determined Fisher had gone into full cardiac arrest during the flight, and she was now fighting for her life in the hospital. Shortly after news broke, Carrie's brother, Todd Fisher, told media outlets that her sister was, quote, out of emergency, but still in intensive care, saying, quote, she is being well looked after. If everyone could just pray for her, that would be good. The doctors are doing their thing, and we don't want to bug them. We are waiting patiently. Over the ensuing days, things turned grim, with the LA Times reporting Fisher was in critical condition and still on a ventilator. 
Her daughter, Billy Lord, and beloved dog, Gary, were also spotted at the hospital. On the morning of December 27th, following four days in the ICU, Fisher died at age 60. Just one day after Carrie's death, her mother, Debbie Reynolds, whose grief over Carrie's worsening condition in the hospital took a huge toll, suffered an, quote, intracerebral hemorrhage with hypertension as a contributing factor, essentially bleeding in the brain caused by a damaged blood vessel from high blood pressure, and died a short time later at the hospital. Todd Fisher, who lost his sister and mother in around a 24-hour span, talked about losing them during a 2020 interview just a few days later, and in particular, his final moments with his mother after they learned Carrie had died. She then said that she really wanted to be with Carrie. In she those, said that. In those precise words. And within 15 minutes from that conversation, she faded out. And within 30 minutes, she technically was gone. It's horrible. It's beautiful. It's magical. They're together. Reynolds was entombed while Fisher was cremated. But a portion of Fisher's ashes were laid to rest beside Reynolds' crypt at Forest Lawn Cemetery, while the remainder were reportedly held in a giant novelty Prozac pill. Just two weeks later, the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health issued a death certificate confirming that the cause of death for Carrie Fisher was cardiac arrest, but deferred further findings pending toxicology results. Several months passed before the coroner's office issued further findings in June 2017. And here are the findings. First, the coroner said the precise cause of death could not be determined, but noted that sleep apnea, a common condition in which people intermittently stop breathing during normal slumber, which disrupts sleep rhythms and causes other complications, may have played a role in Fisher's death. And, you know, Jason, this makes some sense because it was an 11-hour flight that she was on from London to Los Angeles. It's very possible that she decided to doze off and suffered what turned out to be a fatal bout of sleep apnea. This is some, something that can happen with people who suffer from this condition if they don't have their mask on or, or something of that nature. Yes, although we can't normalize this too much, right? She was an otherwise healthy 60-year-old woman who died in her sleep on a flight that many, many people take. Um, many people suffer from sleep apnea, so there's got to be something else at play here, right? There were several other findings. So second, the coroner pointed to the buildup of fatty tissues on the walls of Fisher's arteries as a possible reason for the heart attack. That's another condition that some people live with and is sort of lurking out there. Third, and this is the big one for Carrie Fisher, the toxicology report did show that Fisher had cocaine, MDMA, which is ecstasy, traces of heroin, and other opiates in her system. The report added that it was not clear when Fisher ingested the drugs or whether and to what extent that they may have played a role in her death. And remember, she struggled with substance abuse, which we'll get into uh, for much of her life. Her daughter said that her mother had battled drug addiction and mental illness her entire life and ultimately died of it. And that's what sort of Billy Lord said in the aftermath and added, I know my mom. She'd want her death to encourage people to be open about their struggles. Fisher's brother, who was also a big part of her life, was not surprised by the results and said he never wanted a full investigation of Carrie's death. He said, quote, we're not enlightened. There's nothing about this that is enlightening. I would tell you from my perspective that there's certainly no news that Carrie did drugs. I am not shocked that part of her health was affected by drugs. If you want to know what killed her, it's all of it. He may not have been shocked, Eric. But the world was because Carrie Fisher, well known back in the 70s, huge drug user all through the Star Wars era, the dating Harrison Ford era, the whole part thing. of the scene, part she of the scene. It, yes. And, 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 you know, product of the, as you mentioned, two insanely famous parents who were A-list stars at the time. And she had a profound drug habit, and she was a partier. She was a cocaine girl back in the 70s and 80s. And she wrote about it constantly. This was and something that Carrie was very open about. She wrote about it, but not 
we had never heard that she had bat well into the mid 2010s, no less through the 2000s and everything else, still been a user. And so, yeah, I mean, it's that's what was shocking. She that's what reformed because she had written these memoirs she had written these and you memoirs, thought she had battled through it. Exactly. She was, we've seen it a thousand times, right? Young Hollywood starlet or star gets involved in drugs, goes down, you know, lucky to survive it, but survives it. Now they come out the other side and they are clean and they look back with, you know, regret about how, what they did. But at the same time, it's what created them. It's different for Carrie Fisher. She was continuing to battle the addictions, the demons throughout her entire adult life. And it's ultimately not necessarily what the coroner says, but what her kids say, it's what killed her. Yeah. So news of the deaths of both Fisher and Reynolds prompted a huge outpouring from the Hollywood community, truly befitting the sudden passing of two legends of the big screen. Carrie Fisher's Star Wars family and legions of fans were shocked and saddened by the news. Mark Hamill, who co-starred with Fisher in the films as Luke Skywalker, tweeted simply, no words, hashtag devastated. Peter Mayhew, who plays Chewbacca, echoed the sentiment saying, quote, there are no words for this loss. Carrie was the brightest light in every room she entered. I will miss her dearly. Billy D. Williams, who of course played Lando Calrissian, said, I'm deeply saddened at the news of Carrie's passing. She was a dear friend whom I greatly respected and admired. The force is dark today. Fans even made a makeshift memorial for Fisher on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, putting flowers and candles on a blank star along with the words, Carrie Fisher, may the force be with you always. But her legacy went far beyond Princess Leia. Comedian Margaret Cho tweeted, quote, We just lost a great ally for mental health and addiction. Be strong. Be as strong as she wants you to be. Rest in paradise. It really is. She was so well known at this point in her life for her crusade uh, in favor of mental health, the people who suffer from mental health, her crusade uh, in promoting mental health ag- advocacy for uh, cities, counties, governments to do more on behalf of mental health patients. And so to know that she was continuing to struggle, not necessarily with mental health, but with addiction. Yeah. And, and look, I wanted to point out that there were other people. Carrie Fisher was more than Princess Leia. You know, it's easy to sort of reduce her to that because it was by far her largest role. And what but she ended on, too. Right. That's right. The last three roles, of bigger roles of her life. But yeah. she was really a big advocate for those kinds of things and so well-spoken and so so intelligent that I, I would be remiss if we didn't include some of that. Yeah. Last but not least, uh, Sharon Hogan, who worked with Carrie on the show Catastrophe shortly before her death, said, quote, she was the most generous, fun, gifted, smart, kind, funny, funny, funny person I've ever met. She certainly wasn't ready to go. I'm so glad we became pals. I'm so devastated at her loss. Yeah. And the tributes to Debbie Reynolds were no less effusive, mourning the loss of a film legend from the golden age of Hollywood. Albert Brooks, who starred alongside Reynolds in his 1996 movie Mother, tweeted, Debbie Reynolds, a legend in my movie Mom. I can't believe this happened one day after Carrie. My heart goes out to Billy. Bette Midler wrote, This is too hard to comprehend. Beautiful, talented, devoted to her craft. And even younger generations saluted Reynolds, with Anna Kendrick simply tweeting, American Treasure, and posting a link to Reynolds singing Good Morning from Singing in the Rain. William Shatner said, Debbie Reynolds was one of the last of Hollywood royalty. It breaks my heart that she is gone. I'd hope that my grieving was done for 2016. So Shatner was touching on something that you and I experienced in real time, which was this is December of 2016, 2016 generally, but especially late 2016, saw a spate of deaths in the world of celebrity that we had never seen before. The one that Alan Thicke happened, I remember just a, a few days, maybe a week before this. Yes. And and then for, for Carrie Fisher, and we're like, oh, my God, yet another person. And then the next day to learn about her mother, Debbie Reynolds, we don't want to get too short trip to. She was never as big as Carrie Fisher, but she was an enormous actress in her in her day. 
And you're right. This was the tail end of a year that had already experienced Prince's death. Yes. I mean, this was a David Bowie's death. This yep. was a year that really shocked everyone because we lost a lot of legendary people. When you say Debbie Reynolds was not what Carrie Fisher was, it's only because she died in the year that every legend yes, was dying right. that we think of that as lesser. She, you know, yes, you're right. Had she died without being surrounded by all these other deaths, I think there would have been the, the mass of tributes that we saw for, for, for any of them. I mean, I, I do remember this, this just incredible time is right before the holidays. We're all looking to take off. And obviously, when big, huge stars die around TMZ, it's it's a big deal. It's an all, all hands on that kind of thing. And I remember it was like every day or every few hours, it seemed like we were just sort of being called into action to report on these horrible, horrible And that stories. week between Christmas and New Year's is typically a slower time is, in news. It, it was not that year. It is. We'll go ahead and take a quick break. More on the legacies of Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher when we come back. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, and Walmart, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. So download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. In a way, the synchronous deaths of Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher invited everyone to analyze their careers and impact on Hollywood at the same time, and although they occupy different places in our collective consciousness, there is a sense in which looking at each of them through the lens of the other provides the deepest understanding of each, who they were, and why they mattered so much. Debbie Reynolds was a multi-talented movie star, combining girl-next-door beauty with real acting chops, singing talent, and dancing skills. After being discovered by talent scouts from MGM and Warner Brothers at the 1948 Miss Burbank contest, she burst onto the scene in 1953 as Kathy Selden in Singing in the Rain, which forced her to keep up with two of the greatest dancers in Hollywood history, Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor. Needless to say, she more than held her own. It's 1.30 already. It's morning. Yes. And what a lovely morning. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Although only a modest hit when it was first released, the movie has become a classic, topping the list of American Film Institute's greatest movie musicals and ranking fifth overall as the greatest American film of all time. From there, Reynolds went on to star in The Unsinkable Molly Brown, the original blockbuster about the sinking of the Titanic, and garnered an Oscar nomination for Best Actress in the Role, and then became television's highest-paid female performer with her own weekly show, The Debbie Reynolds Show, in the late 1960s. She even famously took a principled stance and quit the show after she got into a dispute with the producers at NBC over airing Paul Mall cigarette commercials, expressing concern about the number of children watching the show and saying more generally that such ads were inconsistent with her beliefs about health and well-being. It truly was a brave move at the time. Now it is more commonplace, of course, to object to cigarette and alcohol advertising, but Reynolds really was ahead of the curve. She later said, quote, Maybe I was a fool to quit the show, but at least I was an honest fool. I'm not a phony or pretender. With me, it wasn't a question of money, but integrity. I'm the one who has to live with myself. Integrity aside, steering clear of associations with cigarettes also helped her maintain this sort of squeaky clean image, and that landed her more roles in children's programming. 
including famously voicing the title role in the 1973 animated musical adaptation of E.B. White's Charlotte's Web and singing this absolute classic. Chin up, chin up, everybody loves a happy face. Wear it, share it, it'll brighten up the darkest place. Twinkle, sparkle, let a little sunshine in. You'll be on the right side looking at the bright side up with your chinny chin chin. She'd later play the role of a nurturing grandmother on the classic 90s Nickelodeon cartoon Rugrats, introducing her soothing voice to a whole new generation of kids. And Jason, I wanted to pause here really quickly. You know, Debbie Reynolds to me and to someone like Harvey are very different people. Mm -hmm. I grew up watching that Charlotte's Web movie. I grew up watching Rugrats. So she was like America's grandma or America's mother. She has a very sort of sweet sounding voice and a nurturing sort. She exudes uh, sort of maternal warmth. Yep. I think to Harvey, she was like a dancing dynamo. Well, she was, was also in, singing in the rain. She was also sort of a, a bit of a bombshell back in the day. Yes. She was absolutely gorgeous. Not to say she didn't age very, very well. She did. But she well, took on a very different persona for you. She was sort of the short, short curly haired grandma type by the time. Yeah, you but knew to she your was. point, she was a bombshell. And she was involved in one of the biggest scandals in history, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but but Reynolds always stayed true to her song and dance roots, even scoring a number one Billboard pop hit in 1957 with the song Tammy from the rom-com Tammy and the Bachelor. I hear the cottonwoods whispering above, Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love. And then there was her 1973 revival of Irene, a musical that afforded Reynolds the opportunity to introduce her 17-year-old daughter, Carrie, to the entertainment world. The play was a smash hit, breaking records at the time for the highest weekly gross and garnering Reynolds a Tony nomination. Carrie and her brother Todd were already tabloid fodder at the time because Debbie's marriage to singer Eddie Fisher, their father, in 1955, ended in a very nasty divorce in 1959 after it was revealed that Fisher had been having an affair with the other big bombshell of the era, Elizabeth Taylor, a good friend of Debbie Reynolds at the time. Um, it's impossible to overstate what this was in Hollywood lore, right? I mean, Debbie Reynolds was America's sweetheart. She was married to a singer like Eddie Fisher, both hugely famous. And Elizabeth they had Taylor this, at this point was maybe the biggest movie star in the world. And a bombshell. And, and, a, well, one and of the, a sex one, pot. One of know? the most beautiful women in the history of Hollywood. So. Beautiful, but also yes. seductress yes, kind of exactly. beauty. And so Debbie Reynolds with their beautiful little uh, you know, family, they've got a daughter and a son, and she's with Eddie Fisher, and all of a sudden he starts cheating on her with the bombshell of right. the century, Elizabeth Taylor. It was a very, very big Hollywood Pitt, scandal. Aniston, Pitt, Jolie. It has that kind of energy. Yeah. When, when Aniston, Pitt, Jolie happened, they didn't have kids, so it was a little yeah. bit different valence. They didn't break up. But you had this America's sweetheart, Aniston. You had this sort of seductress. So the other dynamics uh, were the yeah, exact same. Exactly. Right. Aniston was the sweetheart, and, and Angelina Jolie was the seductress. Um, so Reynolds would later remarry twice and did eventually reconcile with Elizabeth Taylor, explaining that the divorce from Fisher, quote, probably was the best thing that ever happened to me and that she'd be forever grateful to him for their two children. I don't see Aniston and Jolie ever reconciling. Which... Uh, not anytime <laughs> soon. Not anytime soon. And Carrie Fisher, just two years old when this huge high-profile Hollywood scandal happened, pitting America's sweetheart Debbie Reynolds against home-wrecking bombshell beauty Elizabeth Taylor, was essentially born right into this tumultuous world. As a child and perhaps to insulate herself from all the drama, Fisher retreated to literature and poetry, earning her the reputation as a bookworm of the family. But she was also undeniably talented, and her debut in the Broadway revival of Irene, alongside her famous mother, thrust her into the spotlight. From the beginning, Fisher established herself as part of the cool 70s cinema scene, 
immediately scoring a role in Warren Beatty's shampoo. You know, I think you got exactly the same eyes as your mother, and your chin's a little bit like hers, too. No, it isn't. No, no, and my eyes they're aren't like hers either. They are. No, they're, they're not. They no, are. they're not. I, they really I'm nothing are. like my mother. The subtext of the scene is immediately obvious. She's arguing with Warren Beatty about his sexual relationship with her mother, which escalates to the point of her exclaiming, I'm nothing like my mother. It's a crazy debut. When you watch this movie, she's clearly leaning into the fact that she's the daughter of Debbie Reynolds in this movie, and she's doing it just brilliantly and effortlessly. Well, she was the talked-about star coming out of that. I mean, she was on screen with Warren Beatty, and he was a huge star and, like, the most handsome man of his generation or whatever, but she was the breakout. Everybody was talking about her afterwards. She later turned in a scene-stealing performance as the vengeful ex-lover of Jake Blues in The Blues Brothers, cementing her status as a badass and part of the coolest comedy scene at the time. She would later date Dan Aykroyd during a break from her boyfriend and later first husband, Paul Simon. And of course, being part of the scene entailed a lot of drugs and excess. You just don't get to hang out with John Belushi without knowing how to party. When we talked about the John Belushi, we did the John Belushi uh, episode, we talked about how he had an allowance within Blues Brothers in the budget to do cocaine, yeah. how Aykroyd was doing cocaine all the time as well. She's hanging around with this scene. She was doing cocaine as There's well. There's just a lot of cocaine in the 70s. Yeah. And she was very much a part of it. But of course, it was her role in a little space opera created by George Lucas that carved out Fisher's place in film history. Why, you stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! We don't need a long discussion here about the importance of Star Wars, but it is interesting to note just how influential the character of Princess Leia was for action movies. Most of the action movies of the day featured heroic strongmen opposite so-called damsels in distress. Princess Leia was different. She was beautiful and sexy. Nobody will ever forget her in the golden bikini. But she was also quite feisty, always verbally sparring with Han Solo and blasting away at stormtroopers on the Death Star, which paved the way for strong female action heroes in the ensuing decades like Sigourney Weaver in the Alien franchise and Linda Hamilton in the Terminator franchise. And it's important to remember that that really all started with Carrie Fisher. She was I'd the never, feisty I'd never heroine. connected those, those, those dots, but I think it's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. it just she makes sense. She was the first one that was that feisty heroine, like you said. Absolutely. Fisher was already etched into the annals of Hollywood history when she published her first novel, Postcards from the Edge, in 1987. It was a semi-autobiographical book that satirized some real-life events in her life, like her struggles with drug addiction, mental illness, and her complicated relationship with her mother. The book became a smash hit. It was a bestseller and eventually adapted into a movie starring Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine. The parallels with her real life were obvious, although Fisher was quick to point out that the unflattering portrait of her mother in the book and movie was not necessarily an accurate reflection of the real Debbie Reynolds. So I just tried to write, I mean, my mother's an actress and this character's an actress, but my mother doesn't have a drinking problem. But I really basically wrote that she's perceived by the daughter as having a drinking problem. And my thing that I say about that is if I had, I didn't have to move in with my mother when I got sober, lucky for her. But if I'd had to move in with the Pope, I would have thought that he had a drinking problem because he drank all that wine every day. I mean, that's how you think when you get out of those situations. So it's just a conceit. If I had had to move in with her, if I'd had to move in with you, <laughs> I mean, anybody, if, it's a problem because you just see everything through this sort of new way that you're looking at yourself. And so that's what I, it's a fantasy, it's a what if. And then the arguments, I don't argue with my mother as an adult, as a teenager I did. So it sort of has some roots in that. But uh, it's not, it's not really like her. She's a lot more fun. And for her part, Debbie Reynolds always handled the situation with grace touting the brilliance of her daughter as a writer while gently reminding interviewers like Larry King that the mother character in the novel was a fictional creation. 
You think the public is going to assume, since this will be played up, that in a sense Shirley MacLaine is playing you? I think so, but it's not true. No, DeCary wrote it. That's to her brilliance as a writer. Everyone will think that because it's so well written and it's so honest. It seems so honest, but it isn't really about Carrie and myself. It's it's the novel she wrote, and it's sort of shocking. I get I haven't seen it. I don't think I'm going to see it because they'll, I think I'll get upset because people will think it's. Me. How do you like reading what she writes? Startling. And Jason, to close this, the, the, the nearly simultaneous deaths of Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds seems almost scripted. The women were so intertwined as mother-daughter, and the public nature of their personas, coupled with Carrie's penchant for candor about her personal life, provided endless fodder for tabloids and armchair psychologists. The fact of the matter is that the relationship was complicated, but ultimately filled with deep affection, respect, and love. And so I thought it only fitting to give them the final word on it, with this sweet moment together on the red carpet during a 2010 event that shows just how much the two loved each other. Are you proud of your daughter? Are you proud of me? I'm very proud of my daughter. She is wonderfully gifted and a very special daughter. She's great talent. No wishful thinking here. Yeah. No wishful thinking. Do you really, when you call her up, do you really say, hi, this is Debbie Reynolds, your mother? I mean, when? I, 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 so I, I, I'm just so used to saying it, you know, I say, instead of saying hi, I don't know why I say hi. I mean, of course hello, she knows by now. Hello, dear, this is your mother. Hello, dear, this is Debbie. Instead, I forget. No, your mother, Debbie. This is your mom. This could be my, you know, my... Next door neighbor. Other I'm her neighbor. It's one way I get to see my daughter as I move right next door. And where did your mother live? Right next door.